May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Peter and I had an argument this week, a big one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you should have seen Peter's face. Uh, but we did share a, a difference of opinion waiting in the P. Terry's drive through line. And it was about a movie. Movies are what we talk about, I don't know, 98% of the time we're not talking about church. And I had just rewatched something I hadn't seen for a while. And there's a scene where the two main characters say goodbye for the last time. And I found it honest, incredible. I could feel their pain. I'm wondering about your painful goodbyes. Surely you've had some. Uh, romantic relationship ends. You lose a job you loved. You say goodbye to a parent before their time. We all know what it feels like to say goodbye when it hurts. The Gospel of John gives us this strange detail in its account of Jesus' resurrection. Mary Magdalene was the first person to see the Lord, and she's shocked, overwhelmed, filled with joy. So what does she do? She hugs Jesus. Teacher, she cries. And what does Jesus do? Mary, don't hold on to me. He says, you have to let go. Why do you say that? Well, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. Well, this is surprising because a lot of people touch Jesus after the resurrection, and they don't get the same reaction. There were other women there that morning at the tomb, and they clasped Jesus' feet, and he didn't say anything. Jesus even invites Thomas to put his hand into Jesus' side. That wasn't a problem. So it wasn't the physical touch, but something about Mary's hug communicated that she did not want to let Jesus go. I can see why. I can see why she didn't want to say goodbye to him. Here was the man, maybe the first man, who didn't treat her as something to be used, an object to be avoided, but a person to be loved and honored and cherished. No wonder she did not want to let go. We, we celebrate three events in the life of Christ through the church year. His birth, his death and resurrection, and what we commemorate today, the ascension but I, I'm sure you've noticed there are no ascension cards. We don't exchange ascension presents, throw ascension parties, or go out to an ascension brunch. Many churches, in fact, don't celebrate it at all. And that's strange when you stop to think about it. Imagine not celebrating Easter. Why? Why is ascension like the poor cousin among the great feasts of the church? I think it's because we don't quite know what to do with it. Because on the surface, it's a painful goodbye. Jesus spends 40 days with his friends after the resurrection, sharing meals, walking through walls, leading unforgettable Bible studies. It would have been the most thrilling 40 days of their lives. But it came to an end. 
Why or how do we celebrate that? What's the good news of the ascension? That's what I want to try and speak to today. And I want to do so under two broad themes. I want to say something about presence and something about power. First, presence. Clive Christian's imperial majesty is the world's most expensive perfume. The fragrance, and I quote, features an enchanting scent of Tahitian vanilla, along with a hint of Rosa centifolia, reminiscent of Epaphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. Do you want to smell like Epaphrodite? I'm, I sure do. A bottle of this perfume will only cost you $12,721.89. Last summer, uh, Meg and I went to a, a famous restaurant in Barcelona. It was the most expensive meal I've ever had. It didn't cost as much as the perfume, but it was not cheap. Now, how insane would I be to go to that restaurant, spend all that money, have all of those delicious courses put in front of me, and never eat? How foolish would you be to buy Clive Christian's Imperial Majesty perfume and never wear it? The ascension is good news because it's that which takes what Jesus Christ was and did on earth and releases it into our lives with all its healing power. The ascension is the event whereby the presence of Jesus is diffused throughout the universe. It's how we eat the meal, wear and smell the perfume. Because of the ascension, the presence of Jesus is everywhere. He's in St. Petersburg, he's in Laos, he's in Guatemala City. There is nowhere on earth you can go and not have access to him. The Australian Aboriginal artist Shirley Purdy portrays Jesus' ascension as less a flight into the sky and more a triumphant ascent into the red earth. He goes down, as it were, to commingle with creation and exercise his sovereign goodness everywhere. This is how the Christian tradition has understood the ascension, to quote one confession of faith, Jesus has entered his glory in such a way that he knows everything, is able to do everything, is present for all his creatures, and has under his feet and in his hands all that is in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. This also is the teaching of the New Testament. In the ascended Christ, Paul says, all things hold together. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself. So what does this mean for you? Well, Jesus famously described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone who entered his presence was entering the presence of God. Everyone who heard him speak was being spoken to by God. Everyone who met him could be restored by God. Well, because of the ascension, that same Jesus is no longer restricted by time and space. He is universally 
available. And so now, right now, you can encounter Jesus and encounter God. He's the way. Right now, you can open God's word and Jesus will teach you. He will make you wise. He is the truth. And now, right now, Jesus will exchange your sin for his goodness, your pain for his peace, your anguish for his consolation. He is the life. There are no constraints. The walls have come down. Jesus fills the earth like the waters cover the sea. His presence is everywhere. What about power? Well, the first chapter of Acts records what happens right before Jesus ascends. The disciples ask him a question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus redirects the conversation. Not me, he says, but you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Not me, but you. In this way, the ascension draws our attention to the work of the church and the power that makes it possible. Now, what is the connection between Jesus ascending and us having this power to do our work? Let me try and illustrate it with somewhat of an imaginary scenario. I do have a friend, this is not imagined, named Will in uh, Kansas City, and back in Kansas City, and he has a son named Bates. Bates is obsessed with trucks and trains and power tools. And Will told me Bates is especially fascinated by lawnmowers and wants to help his dad cut the grass. Imagine one day that Will lets him. They go outside together, and Will takes Bates' hand and his hand and puts it on the pull cord and grabs it to start the engine. Imagine that Bates holds on to the lower frame as Will pushes the lawnmower across the yard. Imagine that Bates grabs the yard bag that Will fills with grass clippings. And then imagine Bates entering the house beaming with pride because he had mowed the lawn. And he did, kind of, but it was Will, his dad, the person beside him who made it possible. And I wanna say something similar about how Jesus empowers and enables us to be gracious witnesses to his love and mercy. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, he is everywhere. And that means he is right beside you, encouraging and empowering and enabling you to do the next thing, to do the right thing that testifies to his glory and grace. It's his power that makes it possible. Here's how you know if you've grasped the good news of Jesus' ascension. At the end of our reading from Acts, the disciples are puzzled, staring and looking into the sky. Where did he go? When the angels call them back to earth, why are you still standing here, they say. 
And the disciples aren't looking for the wrong thing, but they are looking in the wrong place. Jesus hasn't disappeared. This is not a painful goodbye. Through his spirit, Jesus is on earth doing, teaching, performing miracles like never before. That's how Acts ends, our reading from Acts. In our reading from Luke, we get a more full picture because at some point, the penny drops for the disciples and they realize what Jesus's ascension means. And so it says they return to Jerusalem with great joy and go immediately into the temple to praise God. Which of those two endings, the one from Acts or the one from Luke, best describe you? Are you looking backwards, staring at where Jesus used to be, wondering where he might be now? Or are you moving forward, filled with joy, confident that you can encounter Jesus in his word and in prayer, and his fellowship with people are in service to those in need? My prayer today is that God would make plain the promise of the ascension to all of our hearts. It's good news because it takes what Jesus was and did and releases it into our lives. His presence is everywhere. His power is at hand. I want to close with words from my man, Martin Luther. He said this, Had Jesus remained on earth, he could not work so effectually. For all the people could not have been with him and heard him. Therefore, he ascended, which made it possible for him to be in touch with all and reign in all and be with all. Therefore, beware, lest you imagine within yourself that he is gone and now is far away. The very opposite is true. While he was on earth, he was far away. Now, he is very near. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.